Well, it's, uh, it's great to see everybody today, and if you're a guest, my name's David. Hope you know you're always welcome to whatever we have going on on the pastor, and we just appreciate you being here with us today. We're in a series in, uh, entitled Breakthrough, and it's, uh, it's a series on the Gospel of Mark. We'll be going you know, through April on this, and um, you know, one, one of the things I think we should realize is, you think about it, we don't have anything from Jesus that he wrote down. The you know, only time we know he wrote anything is in you know, John 8, you know, he wrote something in the sand, we don't even know what that was. All we have, really, are four guys who wrote the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're thankful that we have those. Mark, when Mark wrote, which I've shared with you already, wrote about 58, 60 AD, right there, his target audience was primarily Gentiles. Obviously, anybody could read from any culture, but he, he saw Christianity was becoming more and more Gentile. Fewer and fewer, the percentages of Jews who were Christians compared to Gentile, that was dropping. He was becoming Gentile. And Gentiles came from pagan backgrounds. And, and Gentiles really didn't know much about the one true God. They didn't know about his love. And so, you know, he got material probably from Peter. I mean, early in the church, they said Mark went, you know, early church follower, fa- father said Mark went to Rome, got information from Peter, came back, put it in a book. And then when you read Mark, you see him. It's really got a firsthand account of things. And, and Mark wrote, and, and I've shared this with you several times uh, already in this series every week. He wrote to a primarily Gentile audience. And his account of the story of Jesus would provide a breakthrough for people who didn't know anything about the love of God. I mean, Gentiles didn't know anything about the love of God. And Mark's gospel was a breakthrough for them. And you think about it today, there are so many people we know that know nothing about the love of God. And the gospel of Mark can be a breakthrough for them. And and what we can see today, what what I'm really looking forward to in this message is we're going to see what really, really matters. We're going to see about breakthrough faith. We're going to see about faith that breaks through in our lives. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 and in chapter 5. Here's the thing that I hope you see from the message today. That following Jesus involves faith, trusting Jesus completely. You cannot have one without the other. When we first started this series, the message, you know, Jesus said, repent, believe the gospel. The next week he said, you know, follow, follow me. If we're going to be followers, and as we've seen, lots of people follow Jesus for all the wrong reasons. If you're going to follow him, it's really because of faith. And if you have faith, the result of that faith is always following Jesus. They're inseparable. So, when I want to begin the message today, talking about a power like no other. I mean about power. And when we get power, you know, we in our culture, we understand power. Uh, you know, we, in our cultural battles, it's all about power. It really is. And back in the day of Christ, there really was two kinds of power. One kind of power is positional power, what we call authority. You know, kings had authority. The emperor had authority. The Jewish leaders had structured the Jewish faith to a religious system, which we talked about, which gave them authority. And Jesus threatened that authority. In fact, the people came after Jesus because he taught as one with authority. In Mark chapter 2, he healed someone who had been paralyzed. Before he did that, he said, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders were thinking, how can he forgive sin? Only God can do that. And they're correct. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority. He said, pick up your mat and go home. I mean, he had that kind of authority. But the other kind of power is raw ability, just ability. Samson in the Old Testament had that power. Samson picked up a jawbone of a donkey and whipped up a thousand Philistines. 
No one could beat Samson. He had a power. No one could stop Samson except the pretty woman with the pair of scissors. You know that? That's, that's, all, that's the Old Testament, man. You think about it. Jacob, Samson, David, Solomon, all those guys were doing fine till a pretty woman got involved. You younger guys, you need, you need to listen to me on this one. I wish, and I wish you guys could have known me 40 years ago. Man, I was, I was invincible. Then I met a pretty girl, and I lost all the strength and power I ever had. And it's gone. And as I said in the first uh, earlier service when she was in here, I said, I, I need a place to sleep tonight. And I got a couple of offers, all from single guys, but I'm a little concerned. The married guy's like, yeah, I mean, you didn't come to my house. The power. In the two greatest forms of power in the day of Christ, the same today, is nature or creation and death. You can't defeat either one of those. I mean, outside out there, that wind's going to blow. You can't stop that wind. You can come in here and hide. You ain't going to stop the wind. And death, oh, you can trick it. You can dodge it. But you're never going to defeat it. Not until Christ comes. And so we come today in Mark 4 and 5. And, and, and Peter had shared so much with Mark about all the miracles and the healings. And Mark had shared that. But Peter also and shared with Mark all the things that Jesus taught. And so in chapter 4, he starts talking about the things Jesus taught. And we see in chapter 4, there's these parables. And after the parables that, that he gave about these nature parables, the parable about soil and seed, he, he, he got in a boat. He wanted to go to the other side. I mean, he, there, he, there was always a boat handy when he was up around the Sea of Galilee. Peter and Andrew and, and their family were in the fishing business, probably with James and John. I shared with, that with you already. And they had a family business, had lots of boats. So there was always a boat handy. They got in a boat. It was at night. And these, these were experienced fishermen. The 12, the 12 disciples got in there. Uh, we don't know how many were fishermen, probably more than just the four. And they were heading out. And then the storm came up, this unbelievable storm. I mean, it's described. The water's just tossing the boat around and filling it up. And the wind's blowing it everywhere. And these guys are desperate because they know they've never seen a storm like this, man. These guys know they're in trouble. They're going to die. And Jesus, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. And so these guys go to him, and they're not all that thrilled with Jesus. I mean, they're not. And they wake him up and say, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you asleep? Do you not care that we are perishing? We're dying over here. We're going to be destroyed. And Jesus just got up. Peter will tell Mark, he just looked at the sea and the wind, and he just said, stop. And the craziest thing happened, Mark, it stopped. The wind stopped, and the water stopped. And in verse 40, here's what Jesus said. Why are you afraid? The word afraid is not the normal word for fear, to be terrified. We're going to see that actually in the next verse. It's the word for cowardly, or lack of courage. He goes, why are you guys such cowards? He said, do you still have no faith? Think of all that they had seen Jesus do. They had seen him by now do so many things. He, he, had, he took a guy that was paralyzed, got to walk, turned water into wine. He, he took a guy, a guy that had leprosy, touched him and cleansed him. He, he had done all these amazing things. Did you guys still, you don't trust me. You don't have faith. The idea of faith is the idea of trust. Um, Faith in the Greek, the, the word for faith, the verb is, I mean, the noun is pistis, the verb pistuo, they sound a lot alike. The, the verb is translate believe, we'll see that actually a bit later. Believing in faith, same thing. It's essentially trust, to put your entire confidence in Jesus. You guys don't trust me yet, do you? And Peter said, 
to Mark in verse 31. And they became very much afraid. I mean, literally it says they feared with great fear. This is the normal word for be terrified. It can be terrified or if a believer can be in awe. It's probably a combination. Their fear led them in such awe. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I mean, the wind obeys him, the sea obeys him. Creation obeys this guy. Listen, these are hardened fishermen. And they had seen so many things. Now, what they had seen had been unbelievably impressive. They had seen the curing and the healing and the driving out demons and the miracles. But this got their attention because they understood the power of creation. And if you have the power to stop creation, if you have the power to speak and stop the wind and the rain and the sea and all that goes with it, you have an amazing power, a power that only belongs to God. Because there's nothing more powerful in their life than creation, except for death. And they went through the sea, came to the other side, and there was a man there possessed with a demon. And Jesus drove the demon out. And then Jesus and the guys got back in the boat. They headed to the other side. And they land probably in the area of Capernaum. No one knows for sure where he went, probably in the area of Capernaum. And in chapter 5, verse 21, picks up with this. Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, and a large crowd gathered around him. So he stayed by the seashore. I mean, they were there. As soon as they got there, they knew he was there. And they come from everywhere, man. They were just, they were pressing there. And so he just stayed by the sea and began teaching. And then he ended up, you know, he was healing, I'm sure. All the things he did, he was just there, right there by the seashore. And then verse 22 tells us this. Then one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up. Now, we don't know exactly which synagogue. Some think it was from, think it was from uh, Capernaum. But it would have been a synagogue in that whole area. And undoubtedly, Jesus had been in his synagogue. Now, he was a synagogue ruler. Now, to be the ruler of the synagogue didn't mean he was the preacher or pastor that he preached. It just meant he was in charge of the people and the building and all of that. You know, their worship services, they had music and preaching and reading, reading the Old Testament scriptures, what they just called the scriptures. And he would have made sure that was all put together. But they always had rabbis and teachers do that. But he was a prominent guy, just kind of in charge of everything. And undoubtedly, he had seen Jesus. It may have even been in his synagogue, if he was from Capernaum, where Jesus went and he saw Jesus take a man whose hand was withered and just by speaking, heal that hand. I mean, he had seen what Jesus could do. And he fell at his feet. There was a man of dignity. He came up, seen him, fell at his feet. He implored him earnestly. It means he begged him, saying this, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. That phrase, get well and live, two words. And, and understand, they spoke Hebrew back then, Aramaic in that area. And probably when Peter told Mark the story, he probably told him in Aramaic or Hebrew, maybe Greek. But Mark wrote it down in Greek for us. And, and those two words are important. The word to get well is the fundamental word that we use when we talk about salvation. Most of the time, a form that we see in the New Testament of this word means to be safe, to be rescued. But the word family comes from an idea of being rescued from danger. Outside of the New Testament, it's not so much about salvation. It's about being made well. It, it, it's a word used of doctors and healthcare people back then who, who were able to save someone. Today, we might say at this very hour, while we're talking, there's probably someone in our city 
whose life is in imminent danger of passing away unless medical treatment is given to them. There's nothing they can do. This is the word that signified there's nothing they can do. Jairus is saying there is nothing we can do. But you can. Make her well so that she will live. Not die, but live. There's two words for life. In Greek, one, bios, means flesh and bones. That's not even the word used. The other word, zoe, often used with eternal life, means to live life at its fullest. He said, this is the word used. Savor Jesus, so she can have a life the way it's meant to be. That's some pretty good faith right there. That's a man who has faith. Verse 44 says, and he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him. And pressing in on him. So he went. And you got to realize, the mass of people are just all over Jesus. And probably what we should think in terms of the 12, we're going, it's kind of just kind of clearing away so he could walk. And maybe some of the people that came with Jairus helping. I mean, have you ever seen like on TV, if there's, you know, that there's a rock star or, you know, a country music star or, um, I'm sure, that probably doesn't happen to Southern gospel people very much. But, you know, movie stars where the crowds just gather around them. And just pressing, and people got to quit, and that's what they're doing. And people are yelling at Jesus, say, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, feed me. Jesus, I'm in debt. Help me. Jesus, this. Jesus, that. I mean, they're everywhere. And one of the people there is a woman, we're told. And these are in the verses in between. And she's been bleeding for over a decade. She's miserable, and nobody can help her. And she's suffering. Her life is a living hell. She's so tormented. And she thinks, if I can somehow just touch Jesus, somehow in the midst of all that crowd, she gets up there and they're pushing her back and she gets her hand kind of out there. And when Jesus walks by, she just grabs the hem of his garment briefly. And the power, raw ability went from Jesus to heal her. And Jesus stops and says, hang on, who touched me? And they're like, are you kidding me? Everybody's trying to touch you. He said, no, 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 this is different. He turns and he sees the woman. And in a conversation he has with her, he says, your faith, your faith has made you well. Your faith. But he took a long time. Whatever time it took, it was too much. Because verse 35 tells us. While he was speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? She's dead. Why are you going to keep bothering him? Can you imagine that synagogue official? I mean, he was so close. I mean, he had Jesus. Jesus was on his way. Jesus was almost to the house. And Jesus stops I mean, Jesus, why are you stopping? You can heal her later. My child is going to die. And the synagogue ruler found himself in a position that followers of Jesus find themselves in all the time. Waiting on Jesus. Have you ever found yourself waiting on Jesus? Like, Jesus, I'm praying to you. We know what needs to be done. I got confidence in you. Jesus, would you hurry up? I'm there all the time. I mean, right now there's stuff going on. I'm like... I, I know, Lord. I know. I know you're going to deliver. I got that faith. Could you do it now? I'm not getting any younger. 
The other day I passed 50. Man, I'm a tough. I'm a tough. <laughs> it was a 40, and I passed 50, and it was, it was, it was tough. But here's the thing. Sometimes I'll say, Jesus, come on. So much of following Jesus is waiting on Jesus. You got to have the faith. You got to have the faith it takes to wait. I didn't say that in any other service. Can you add that back? That was a good You got to add that back. You got to have the faith it takes to wait. Verse 36, but Jesus, oh, but Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid anymore. Do not be terrified. Do not fear for your daughter. Only believe. Only faith. Here's what he's saying. Trust me. You trusted me up so far. Keep on trusting. And he, at that point, allowed no one to accompany him but Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Now, they were probably close to the house. And so he didn't want all those people just coming up to the house. So he, he told nine of his apostles, those disciples, you guys stay back. Keep the crowds away. And Peter says to Mark, and he said for me and John and James, his cousins, to go with him. He goes, Mark, I don't know why he picked us, but I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad because you're not going to believe what happened next. He says they came to the house of the synagogue official. And they saw a commotion of people loudly weeping and wailing. There was just already, she had hardly been dead, and already the mourners were there. Now, sure, family's crying, but these, the commotion, when people died back then, they had professional mourners come. Even the poorest had to have at least two singers and a flute player. A flute, I don't know why that flute player. I, that'd be cool. I have time I'm asking about, why don't we have a flute player in a band? You know, we're not going to have a flute player in a band. He doesn't like flute players. My mother was a flute player, by the way. Just want you to know that. My mother played the flute. I was listening. I was driving down the road the other day. I was listening to Marshall Tucker Band. You ever do that? No, probably not. You know, they play flute in the Marshall Tucker Band. And now Brian thinks he's better than the Marshall Tucker Band. Yeah, flute band. Verse 29 says, and entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died. She is asleep. Now, some think that mean, well, the child was just in a coma. No, the child had actually died. He's not saying she's not actually dead. Well, we need to understand that from the time of Jesus on, for the believer, death, death wasn't final. I mean, death was not the final thing. I mean, we do this all the time in a funeral. When you're a believer, we say death really is an entrance. It's the passage is the beginning to eternal life. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus, it's still an entrance, but it's not a good entrance. But fundamentally, Jesus is trying to say, just because you're experiencing death, don't think it's over. For the follower of Christ, you've got to understand, death does not mean things are over. You see, Jesus accepted the reality of the child's death, but not the finality. Yeah, the child's dead, but it's not over. It's not final. There's more to come. In verse 40, it says, they began laughing at him. So obviously, they weren't mourning too much, the professional mourners. But putting them all out, I love that part, it's so subtle. It makes it sound like Jesus just said, would y'all all leave now? <laughs> I have a feeling Jesus said, y'all get out. I mean, Jesus kicked them out. Peter, knowing Peter being a fisherman, probably just told Mark, and Mark had to clean it up to put it in the gospel. He just said, Peter said, we just kicked them out of that place. and got rid of all of them laughing at Jesus. And he took the child's father and mother and his own companions, and he entered the room where the child was. He went into her room. And then taking the child by the hand, he had to say to her, and he spoke in Aramaic, 
Talitha Kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. He just took her by the hand and spoke. He took, when you touched someone who was dead, you were unclean in Jewish law. He didn't care. He touched the leper. He's not going to care about teaching a little girl. He's about to bring back to life immediately. The girl got up and began to walk. For she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. They were amazed. They were astonished. They couldn't see. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. So he said, listen, they're celebrating, but don't go out and tell all those people who didn't believe. Give her some food. She's been sick for a while. And then let us have time to get out because Jesus didn't want the doubters to all of a sudden come and begin pressing him to do more miracles. He's had enough of that. Peter says, Mark, I've seen him stop the sea and the wind with a word. I saw him bring the dead back to life with the word. It's a power like no other. And Mark shares with us what Peter undoubtedly shared with him, that Jesus is Lord of nature and death. If you can bring the dead back and you can have creation stop at your word, you have the power that only the Lord has. And that was Jesus. I'll put it to you this way. The fullness of creation and life are revealed in Jesus. God reveals something to us. And in Jesus, he revealed the fullness, the completeness, the totality of all creation and all of life. That is a power like no other. And that brings me to the second thing I want you to see today, which is this, that revelation leads to faith. We have faith because of something revealed to us. We have a God who reveals, is fundamental to what we know about God. The only way we can know anything about God is God reveals what we know. And he reveals something to us about faith and in overcoming the power of creation and death. In Jesus, there is something revealed. What is revealed is simply this. Jesus revealed that we can have faith in him. He gives us a reason. He gives us evidence. It's popular for those who are not followers of Christ to say, well, we just believe on blind faith, or we just believe any old myth. No, that's not true. We have a reason to believe. There's evidence why we believe. Mark tells us. He said, look. I mean, this is a whole list of things, but at the end of the day, he says, here's the thing. He stopped the sea and he stopped the wind and he erased the dead girl back to life. And oh, by the way, if that's not enough, we're going to see this in April. Jesus went to a cross and died for us in our place and on our behalf. And after he was dead and buried on the third day, God brought him back to life. That is the evidence why we have faith in Jesus. So here's the thing. The object of faith is critical. Where we place our faith is critical. We live, it, we live in a day where people talk about faith all the time. I read about faith all the time. You needed to believe in this and believe in that. You need to have faith in this or that. I mean, two teams are going to win football games today. And when they get interviewed, some of the players are going to say, we just believed in ourselves. We just had faith. All right. But too often in our culture, having the idea of faith by itself is the, all that people need, as they say, and that's not true, because you've got faith in the wrong places. Some people have faith in faith. In other words, the idea of just being positive, I see this all the time, you've got to believe, and you've got to have faith, and you've got to know what's going to happen, and think positive thoughts. This is, this is really a dangerous thing to go, road to go down. 
I, I, I hammer a lot this past year. I've been really critical for a good reason about the prosperity gospel. Because it's an insidious, parasitical philosophy that's attacked Christianity and it is growing. Much like Gnosticism at the end of the first and end of the second, third system attacked Christianity, so a so prosperity gospel is it's the idea of basically if you just have faith, if you just believe, you'll be positive. You'll have wealth and health. It's nothing to do with Jesus. They just, they just take Jesus for the right. The founders of the prosperity movement and most of his practitioners don't even believe Jesus went on the cross. They don't even believe in the, I mean, they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe he was born of a virgin. They don't even believe that Jesus is the son of God. They just use Jesus as an example of faith. Their doctrine goes all the way back to the Old Testament idea of God blessing and cursing. It is the belief in belief. Some people say we well, not have belief got to have faith in humans. You got to have faith in humanity. Seriously. Look at the people around you. Who do you want to have faith in with your life? Now, don't look at your spouse. Look at the row behind you. Yeah, you can sneak a quick peek. Well, the back rows. Look at the tech booth. That's all right. Some of you did it, and I'm like, I ain't doing that. I ain't looking at the guy behind you. Why would we put our faith in humanity? Put your faith in you. Why would I put my faith in me? I know what I am. Why, why, why would I trust my life to me? That makes no sense. Some people say you've got to put your faith in science. Science is it. Well, yeah, science is it until the next group of scientists come along and disprove what this group of scientists thought was true. I remember growing up. You know what they taught me growing up in science? Pluto was a planet. And so, I don't even know who made the decision. Somebody decided Pluto's not a planet anymore. Who made that decision? It wasn't, it wasn't my physics teacher from ninth grade and 10th grade and 11th. <laughs> who make that? Who, who gets that power to decide Pluto's not that? Understand this. The object of our faith should reveal that it is worthy and deserving of our trust. You're going to trust your life somewhere where you're placing your life should be worthy and deserving of that trust. That's Jesus. That's the guy that can take the water in the wind that's about to kill some experienced sailors and says, stop. And that's the guy who can take a little girl who's dead. Say, get up. That's power. Peter told Mark, it's amazing what I saw, Mark, in my time with Jesus. All the things I saw. And I saw him heal and I saw him cleanse and I cast out demons. Eventually I would see the resurrected Jesus. And it's amazing what I saw. All that he revealed to me. The followers of Jesus saw him reveal the reason they should trust him. And it was a breakthrough. It was breakthrough faith. I began the message today, saying that following Jesus involves faith or trusting him. You can't have one without the other. And we have faith in Christ for a very simple reason. He gives us all the evidence we need to have that faith, ultimately in the resurrection. But even before then, he showed these guys what it was to have power. The power only God can have. The power 
over creation and death. So I want to ask you the question Jesus asked Peter and all those guys in that boat. Do you still not have faith? In your life right now, do you still not believe and trust Christ? Why? What are you waiting for? What more does Jesus need to do to show you you can trust him? Of course, that's what the rest of the Gospel of Mark is about. To show you what all that Jesus did. But if you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, if you don't have faith, you can. You can today. And listen, if you don't do it today, then I invite you sometime over the weeks and months ahead to believe. To believe. I had someone come up after one of the services to talk to me about believing, trusting Christ with their life. You can do that. In just a moment, if you want, we're going to be here. And if you'd like to give your life to Christ today and to trust him, you can do that. Some of you have people you love and care about. And I know it's a struggle for you because they're not believing. And you want them to believe. So maybe you'd like for us to pray with you. Ladies, we'll have another woman up here if you'd rather pray with her because some prefer to pray lady to lady. And some of you, you may just be struggling yourself. You may be saying, David, I believe, but I'm waiting on Jesus right now and it's hard. And I'm struggling with my faith waiting on Jesus. Maybe some of you identify with Jairus. And there's been man, a tough time in your life. Jesus still wants you to trust him, to believe. And maybe you want to come and pray with one of us to help you have that faith. Listen, if you want to join our church, you can. I don't know what you need to do. But here's what I invite you to do. I invite you to look at the Lord of nature and death. The one who brings the fullness to creation and life. And to experience a breakthrough faith. Jesus, you are Lord of all. And we praise you and honor you. And we are so thankful that you came. God, thank you so much for Jesus coming to this world. To provide for us faith. We know ultimately he went to the cross to die for us. We know you brought him back to life for us. And yet some of us still don't believe. Some of us still don't have faith. So I ask now, in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to believe. Help us to experience breakthrough faith that our life will be changed. And we'll walk out of here today being a follower of Christ who has faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Would you stand and we'll be here and you can come.